a pop itself a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some movie clips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxings Full month or movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the box come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG With the other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I've got a great show for you today, tag team callers. But before we get in the ring, just a couple admin things really quickly. I haven't played a lot of games lately, but I did get to play Friday Night AD&D. This is a first edition AD&D game run by M.W. Lewis of the World's M.W. Lewis Podcast, who recently had a successful Kickstarter. And in that game, this last session, we went in the sewers hunting were-rats, and I'll tell you what, we found them and almost bit off more than we can chew. Actually, we're still in the middle of it, and my dwarf ran off after Cassandra, one of the <laughs> spellcasters, pulled out a wand of fear and tried to hit the were-rats with a wand of fear, and my dwarf got caught in the, in the cone and failed a saving throw. I rolled like a two on the saving throw, which I only needed a nine, but I rolled a two. Anyway, the dwarf hightailed down the sewers, so we don't know what's going to happen with him. But lots of fun. Love AD&D First Edition. If you love AD&D First Edition, you should think about looking at a couple Kickstarters. So one of them I'm going to mention here is Severed Fate. And this is being sponsored by Smoldering Dung Games will be printed by Smoldering Dung Games. They do the premier AD&D first edition fan magazine, Flipping and Turning. But it's being done by some veterans from Mayfair Games, from the Roll Aid series, including, you know, Roll Aid's titles like Undead, John Keefe and Laurel Nicholson. And you can actually find a, a pretty great interview with the two over on the Grog Talk podcast. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But... Severed Fate is a first le- it's an adventure for five to seven first level characters. And it looks like it's going to be pretty great. So if you're into and you it doesn't you don't have to run it with AD&D first edition, right? You could run it with a variety of OSR games. But check it out. It like I say it's done by some veterans from the industry and it looks like it'll be a pretty fun game or pretty fun adventure. The other Kickstarter I'm going to mention is Random Quest Dungeon Delve. This is a solo play D6 card-based adventure game. It's basically a solo co-op little dungeon delve. It's a board game, not a RPG. This is being done by Brian Large, who is in my Friday Night AD&D group. Brian has previously on Kickstarter published an adventure that has been delivered. Great adventure. Lots of fun. As far as Random Quest... Unfortunately, I'm not sure if, if there's a hiccup in creating the page or what, but the basic page doesn't give you a ton of information on the game, but Brian has a YouTube channel you can go to, and I've linked that in the show notes, and he's linked it in his updates for the Kickstarter. But in the YouTube channel, they go over the components of the game and exploration traps. He's demo, demoing it at a local event to him. So check that out. See if it's something you're interested in. Um, it already has funded, 
But I, I do want to give Brian a shout out. He's a good guy, fun DM, and it looks like an interesting project and a fun little game you could just, you know, take with you, whip out in the hotel room at night and play when you're traveling, things like that. Okay, I think it's time to open up that mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason, just listened to your last podcast, and I have an, actually an update on Anchorverse, Spotify for whatever the fuck it's called. Um, so they actually did send me a survey and I told them, Hey, put the button back because my calls have dropped off. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if they care about calls or if they only care about listenership because really listenership has not dropped off. Just interaction has, which is interesting um, in and of itself. But uh, I told them, put the button back. That would be cool. Like, cause they asked, what would you, how would you like to see this platform improved? And that's what I said. So I don't know if you've gotten a survey too. I know they're shooting out surveys. Uh, who knows? Anyway, um, good stuff. That's message number one. Hey, Carl, thank you so much for that message. As he said, that's message number one. I, today is going to be a series of calls from a combination of great podcasters. We have Carl, the Gemologist Presents, Barry, uh, the Shadow the GM, Chicago Wiz of Dungeon Master's Handbook, and J.E. Shields, prominent RPG artist, who actually did a podcast called A Grazing Mace back in 2019. So, Carl, I probably have gotten a survey. I haven't answered it, so I guess I'm a bad person in that way, but I have no faith in Spotify to fix it, but I will hang on until it becomes unusable, and then I'll hop platforms. Um yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Okay, next up, we have Barry. By the way, folks, it's been a little while since Barry's called into my show. If you don't listen to his show, The Shadow of the Jam Podcast, or haven't heard him over on Che Webster's show, Roleplay Rescue, Barry speaks a little bit fast. He's like naturally at 1.5 or 2 speed. So if you listen to my show sped up, you may want to slow it down for the next couple calls. Hey Jason, just a first of a few messages for you. First one to say, sorry, I've not called in for ages. Yeah, this is more of a personal one. Just life's been a bit hectic, so catching up on podcasts and everything. But yeah, it's what I'd send a message just to apologize, I guess, and say I'm going to try and send a few in just now. I missed the Kung Fu competition, which is a bit of a shame because I did have one. Um, but I'll talk to you about that another time, I guess. Anyway, yeah, I'll get out of the pop room messages now, and I'll speak to you soon. Barry, thank you for that call. No worries. I know you have a very busy life. I do appreciate any calls. And if... Barry or anyone else has a late entry they want to call in for any of my contests feel free to do it I'm happy to play it obviously you know you missed out on the contest but you can still send your entry and I'll still air it and, and I would love that for any of my contests okay now we're back to Carl and Carl's call which was sent in by SpeakPipe has about a 30 minute blank spot in it in the middle of his talking I don't know what happened there but I'll let you know when that happens I guess the other message I was going to leave is that I am enjoying the tactics discussion so way back with Mega Traveler, which is, I guess, his Traveler's second edition, tactics was kind of everything in combat. Like, you could set your initiative because the side that had the highest 
tactical points pool went first. And then during the round, tactical points could be used to interrupt other side actions and also, as, in, as Daniel described in Coriolis, improve combat task roles. In, in the newest edition of Traveler and Mongoose Traveler, the tactics only matter during initiative uh, as written. However, they do have like this task chain mechanic um, where I feel like you could use tactics. And I mean, you can use use it for tactics for tasks to plan an effective ambush or infiltrate or whatever. So you could use tactics as part of the dice, the task chain mechanic. So the person who has tactics um, and or I guess you could use recon for that too, uh, could roll and then add a bonus to like stealth rolls or an, the infiltration. At this point, we lose about 30 seconds of Carl's message. And um, not a lot of characters get it, right? You, you only get it if you're like probably in like a military type um, career. Uh, so although you could, you know, study and, and rules is written, even if you don't use a traveler, the mega tra the traveler companion to get skill points, you can use the traveler rules to like study it out and you get like a, a roll, one roll every quarter to see if you learned anything. So anyway, that's tactics and traveler. That's the only time I've really seen it. That's, I don't remember. Oh, I guess it's command, like he said in, in Coriolis, but like a skill tactics, right? Um, I remember it from traveler the most. So, um, okay, that's message number two. Maybe there'll be another one. I'm not sure. Hey, Carl, sorry your message got cut off a little bit, but Mega Traveler Tactics, it sounds like Recon kind of works the same way in Mega Traveler. Very interesting. Uh, I do like the way that Daniel explained Coriolis where, you know, if you're using tactics, then the people under you, if they do what you said or along the task you describe, then they get a bonus. But if they're doing something else, they don't get the bonus. I kind of like that as far as a way of, you know, a tactical character can point out ways and then other characters can take advantage of that if they follow the direction of that character. But it doesn't require you to know the nitty gritty of the tactics if you're not steeped in that real world tactics. You know, it lets you um, hand wave it a little bit, which is good for some players and some groups. Again, it all depends on your group. Maybe you want to play it all out with minis on the map and that is okay. In fact, we'll talk about that later. Well, right now, Carl's going to tag out, and his partner, Barry, is going to come in. Hi, Jason. Got a quick call on here just to talk about um, tactical things in combat in RPGs. And it was interesting. The only point I really wanted to kind of pick up on was when you talked about, you know, in games, you can like choose to do things like taking cover and crouching and aiming and, you know, all those kind of things. And, you know that they don't need to matter. It's interesting because when I play games, I prefer them to matter. It's kind of one of those strange foibles of me. But I like games like GURPS and things where I actually like having the modifiers, like the fact that when I make all these decisions or choices, it does matter. Um, and I guess it's one of those where you can pull on that whole, you know, player knowledge versus character knowledge thing as well, that it kind of, you know, it, it relies more on you knowing to do those things in the game rather than whether the competency of your character ought to know that in a more abstract way. But I guess it wasn't, it's not in... I guess to me, I can play games like that. It doesn't spoil the game for me necessarily, but I do know I'm having a preference these days towards games that actually have that level of it in the tactical play. Um, I think I quite like that. Yeah, so that was kind of more to say, you know, I think some of us do have that kind of leaning towards those kind of things, which is probably why I like the games that I do, <laughs> unsurprisingly, and that kind of a thing. Yeah, so I guess that was mainly it. So, yeah, and I know some people don't like those things. Definitely people that prefer it a bit more abstract and prefer just to kind of, you know, get on with it and describe what they're doing, but not so worried about whether it actually makes a difference. For more of them, it's more just a narrative flavor, I guess, really, or describing the scene. Um, but I think for me, it helps. It also helps sometimes if, you know, 
the things you do matter in your defense and stuff because to me it adds the kind of description and therefore that having an effect um and the only thing i would say is i don't go to extremes i mean you get into bold combat and talk about direction of wind and stuff there was a point for me where it does become a bit too onerous so i think there is for everybody that kind of cutoff point where the realism causes too much problems for the game so i think we all have our points where in all these things the complexity of a game does get in the way of the game, regardless of where you lie on that spectrum. So I guess we all have our kind of cutoff points. And to me, there are definite things where there could be too much of that. So I wouldn't go too far that way, if that makes sense. Anyway, I'll stop waffling and making no sense now, and I'll speak to you later. Uh-oh, Barry's in trouble. He's reaching for his partner. Carl's trying to get his hand. They're just a little bit too far away. Carl's arms through the ropes. He's stretching, stretching. He wishes he was Mr. Fantastic. What's going to happen, folks? This is... Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. But before we come back to that exciting scene in the ring, I want to comment on Barry's call. I just want to comment a little bit here. I agree with Barry. The amount of detail your group is interested in is going to depend on your group. Some groups are very happy with a ton of detail, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy that sometimes. And there are games out there that let you do that detail, whether it's GURPS, whether it's something like Aces and Eights, whether it's something like you know, TriTac games, there are a ton of games out there that do let you put in that really detailed stuff. And there are games that abstract it. I, I kind of wanted to show, though, we're, when we're talking about Palladium's Recon, which you can, which is now titled Deluxe Revised Recon, there's a link in the show notes. Just to show you the difference, though, so in that game, in the RPG version, the abstract version, if you're ambushed, and you, you, you return fire without seeking cover, you're minus 70. If you return fire while you're seeking cover, you're minus 80 to hit, right? So let's go back and look and see what it is for the miniature game. And we're just going to use the rules in the back of the recon book so anybody can recreate this if they want. If you are ambushed, chances are that your opponent's prone or behind an object. So it's that's going to be minus 35. And you... If you're running or kneeling, so if you're kneeling, you're minus 20, so that puts you at minus 55. If you're you're running for cover, that puts you at minus 65, right? And that's with a rifle. It's slightly different if you have a machine gun, if you have a pistol, a submachine gun, or if you have a shotgun. They have slightly different modifiers for all those. So, you, you know, we're right in the same bracket of modifiers there. What for that particular game. Now, you're right, Barry. Depending how detailed you want to get, it can matter. And you might be within a couple, you know, 5-10% difference. But ultimately, if your group isn't into super into detail, I think Palladium does a great job of abstracting it where the modifiers are about the same as they are as the miniature game. They're not exactly. And, and I could go through with a turkey shoot and with a stand-up war modifiers as well but basically it's a really good abstraction and it's impressive how well they abstracted those miniature rules to rpg for pretty quick combat rules but like you i like that detailed combat a lot of times i really enjoyed the aces and eights game which goes tick 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 you know you say i'm gonna draw my gun run behind that barrel and take aim and shoot that might be 15 seconds worth of action right maybe not 15 it might be eight seconds worth of action so it's eight ticks as you're ticking up you know, that uses the same rule set as Hackmasters. Link Hackmaster in the show notes as well. And Hackmasters does the same thing. You you describe an action, and it's going to take, you know, 
five, seven seconds to do that action, and you're just going along. The problem with that, and, and that could be a lot of fun, the problem with that is when you get too detailed, or for some groups it'll be too detailed. So an example of that is, you know, I just picked up Sword Path Glory Book 1. Now I just need Sword Path Glory Book 2, and I'll have all the books Leading Edge put out. I won't have all the miniatures, but I have all the books Leading Edge games put out. But in Sword Path Glory, your time segments for combat are a tenth of a second. And the problem with that is, unless you're using... So this was written by legitimate jet rocket scientists, right? People who worked for Jet Propulsion Laboratories. I mean, legit rocket scientists. And it was designed really probably to use computers and all that. And if you put all this in a computer and let it do the math, it might work out better. You use computer for modeling. But when you take it down to a tenth of a second for segments and, and you have to plan out actions, you have to plan like 80 rounds ahead to do some things. And then you have, if it's GM, you're running multiple characters. What you end up with are your orcs start running into walls and tripping over barrels because you're not able to track their movements in, in long term because it's so abstract. It's like trying to play chess and thinking ahead in your moves, only you know, a lot more detailed for these games. So there's a point where it gets too detailed, right? Or at least for some people. And this is going to come up in a later call. Jay Shields is going to call about Space Alert, one of my favorite board games. And we'll talk about it a little bit more there, and, and he'll talk about it. And there's a link to Space Alert in the show notes as well. But in Space Alert, you, you have a control board, and there's a each player has a control board, and there's a tape that plays in the background or recording in the background. And it tells you something, and then you have to make moves for each turn. And it's broken down in a segment of turns. And you make your moves, then the tape gives you other information. You make more moves. You move pieces on your, on your little command board. And then when it's all done, you take what you've done on the command board and what everybody's done on the command board, and you put it on the real board and see what happens. And off time, and I'm not describing it very well. Just go to YouTube and look for a, a video on Space Alert. But off times what happens is when you should have gone right and down the, down the elevator and refueled the ent- refueled the the power plant, instead you went left and went up or you went down in the wrong turn. So you, you didn't refuel the power plant soon enough and the ship gets blown up or you're supposed to shoot the lasers at, in turn three, but you really didn't get there till turn four to shoot the lasers. And it, it, so it's a game that really frustrates some people. It's a lot of fun for others, but it's that same kind of thing. How much, so it just depends what you want. If you and your group really like that detail, that's great. I like it sometimes. But sometimes having to think multiple turns ahead isn't people's bag when they're trying to do an RPG as opposed to a war game. So, you know, it it just depends, right? Anyway, Barry, thank you so much for the call. Really, really appreciate it. What? The rest back is turned. Carl actually jumped through the ropes, and he tagged Barry. Carl's back in the match. So another topic that came up in your latest podcast was VTT versus in-person play, and I, I think we maybe all agreed that in-person play is the ideal. You can do more things. You can have minis. Uh, you can read people, um, get more nuance than just their voice um, that you usually only get on VTT. Um, although it is nice, I think, in some of the games that we play, Jason, like especially with Joe Salvador, that you can all see each other and then we can get facial expressions and stuff, and that's cool. And um, and then with die rollers, like I do like the automated character sheet. It definitely helps to introduce people to the game. 
And I was surprised sometimes how well it goes. And I'll talk about this more in my podcast, but I was able to run Savage Rifts with people not familiar with Rifts. But I don't feel like it. the character sheet um, lessened the experience. In fact, it got them able to think more since they didn't have to think about how to work the freaking character sheets. It's a very good character sheet for Savage Worlds. They could think about more, oh, we've, they've never been exposed to Rifts. They don't know the whole history like maybe you and I do. But two novice players to riffs are like, oh, now I see what's going on, right? So they could listen to like the info that the NPCs were t- telling them, get into some role playing, do some fun things with their cool gear because it's riffs. Um, so I, I think that was more important, at least in the VTT, and that maybe is a benefit of having, you know, this automated uh, system. I mean, I don't know, but it's, it's right. So that's like you know, on the roll twenty. What about on like fantasy grounds, um, it's hard to say. It seems some it seems initially like in fantasy grounds, the VTT got in the way, but now once you get the hang of it, it doesn't. And and it's funny going from running the same type of game, Pathfinder Two, on fantasy grounds versus on Roll Twenty is is interesting. And I'm like I'm waiting for the automation to happen on Roll Twenty. I'm like oh, it's not happening. So so it's easier it seems on fantasy grounds once you get go through that learning curve. And I don't know, that could be that could be a gateway for some people is that learning curve. And I've played with people who, it, like the reason we're doing Kingmaker on on uh, Roll20 and not Fantasy Grounds is that one of my players, just Fantasy Grounds just does not operate correctly on their platform, right? So there's that a technological gateway as well, which is kind of sad. So, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like we couldn't do Blood Bowl in the context of our story arc like we do in Warhammer. We did in Warhammer Fantasy Online, and I actually some of these players we with COVID hit. We had to play online for a little bit, and he's like, "I wish we could have finished this campaign in person because it was so cool what you showed on the VTT, and imagine what it would have been like live." Um, So, so there you go. Um, My two cents or so. Hey, Carl, thank you for those thoughts. I I wonder a little bit about that, talking about how the character sheet made Savage Rifts easier. What did it do? I'm curious. I'm not trying to pin you down, Carl. Well, I am trying to pin you down. I'm not trying to attack you, though. But what did the character sheet on Roll20 or whatever VTT you used do that a paper character sheet in front of the player wouldn't do? Because Rifts is just you're rolling D percentile dice and D... D20 for combat, right? Um, what what did the character sheet do online that an in-person one wouldn't? Because you're not doing complex math in riffs. You're, you're not doing weird dice combinations or dice pulls or anything like that. So I'm curious what you think the VTT character sheet does that the regular one doesn't. And if I was going to really play Devil's Advocate, I would say... Do we really want players looking at their character sheet to figure out what they can do as opposed to just saying what they can do and the GM saying, okay, here's how you do it. You, you know, do we really want to play off our character sheet instead of playing off the character concept? But that's a whole nother can of worms, right? So let's not go down that road. But but I am curious about that. As far as Blood Bowl, yeah, I mean, there's so you can play Blood Bowl online, right? You can use um, Tabletop Simulator, or, I mean, you could even use Roll20 or something if you wanted to. But Tabletop Simulator, to me, as long as you disable the table flip feature, 
it is probably the ideal way to do it. I'm sure people have done it, but it's not the same as in person. A hundred percent. I agree with you. I, I do prefer in person. Um, but, but I, I, it is interesting that people get, I don't want to say addicted, but kind of, they get used to playing this electronic board game. And that's kind of like you talk about, you know, when you go from fantasy grounds to roll 20, you miss features and it, you know, cause you're used to the electronic board game, which is a different experience. And I think that's where I'm going with that. It, you're still playing a role playing game, but playing the electric board game with a VTT is a different experience than playing in person. And I think that's an interesting, um, maybe an interesting topic, a bigger topic th than this. But if, if you would, Carl, let me know what the difference between the VTT character sheet and the physical character sheet for Savage Rifts is. I have played Savage, Savage Rifts. I do own it. I much prefer Palladium Rifts, but I'm not going to poo-poo anybody that enjoys Savage Rifts because it gets people interested in Rifts and into the market. And, you know, Savage Rifts is there. It exists, honestly, in some ways as a entry point into the Palladium world and into buying all those Palladium source books. So I'm definitely glad it's out there and I'm definitely glad it's still being supported at this point. But you know what? Barry's out for the count. Oh no, actually, I don't, he, he might not be back for the count. Barry might be back. But the moment, Barry's out. What's Carl going to do? Here comes, uh, it's Carl's old partner, Michael. Chicago Way Shorten is coming in and he's tagging out. This is amazing, folks. Nobody expected this. Here comes Chicago is to Carl's rescue. Hey, Jason. Michael, Chicago is from Dungeon Master's Handbook. Um, that's a... I've been listening to your Rune Slinger on uh, Powered by the Apocalypse episode and uh, got to the point where we're discussing, uh, you know, things built, the game in the machine versus the game outside the machine and online versus tabletop and you know everybody's talking about you know the excitement of the dice and you know being there and that, that, that kind of that face-to-face that -face. there's an energy that I think happens when you are together with people um, you know I mean there's enough psychology studies about people who are in isolation versus people who you know, work in social groups, um, you know, getting older, I'm aware that, you know, at some point I'm going to possibly be quite alone. And, you know, that, that's kind of a scary thought. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we being social creatures, um, there is something primal. There's something built into the human experience of, being together with some with other people and, and i think that playing role-playing games together you know touches that energy touches that that whole uh you know social togetherness and bond um one of the things that that has been hard for me to do online is uh what i like to call my spectacles um i I love putting together the miniatures and the models or, you know, having the, the group experiences. And I mean, I can do it well enough online, but not the same. You know, I don't get any pleasure out of putting together battle maps or putting together something on VTTs nearly as much as I do with building 
you know, the moat house by hand out of cardboard and, and styrofoam and, and spackle and then seeing people play on it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. But yet other people do. They love putting together the battle maps. They love that digital experience. And, and so I, I think in turn, you know, kind of feeding into the other topic of, you know, programming the game into the machine versus having it as part of the experience where, you know, you're doing these calculations at the table. I think it's going to come down to personal preference and what works well for you as a game referee and what works well for the people that are playing. You know, here again, some people are going to prefer the, the game that comes out of having it programmed versus other people who prefer having that crunch or just having that experience of, you know, a simple game being a more analog game, you know, and, and I mean, we see it reflected in all of the various versions and how many people love the different versions of these different types of games and, and the way they play and how they play. So I don't think there's ever going to be a one size fits all approach. I think you're always going to have these different types of experiences. And how cool is it that we live in an age where we can have those different types of experiences and welcome them and be able to support all of them? Uh, I think that's pretty neat. You know, I may not be the kind of person that enjoys the, uh, the programmed machine and, and, you know, the, all of the online stuff, but I get to do it and I'll get to experience different ways of playing and learn from it and be able to share the, the way that I like to play. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Great episode. Thanks for what you do. And we'll talk at you later. Game on. Michael, thank you so much for that call. I really appreciate it. And I agree with everything you said. I'm not going to dilute it by t talking about it anymore. I, I think, you, you know, you nailed it. Uh, Folks, there's a link to the Dungeon Master's Handbook, his podcast, in the show notes. If you go to his podcast, in the show notes for the podcast, it has a link to his blog. And there's so much great stuff in Chicago Wizards' blog. Please check that out, especially if you're into the OSR and into older games. There's just so much, you know, great stuff in there. Definitely check that out. But back to the wrestling match. It looks like Barry's back up. Barry's coming back into the ring. Let's see what happens, folks. This is so exciting. Hi, Jason. Barry here once again, and a request for you to stop talking about TriTac games because I'm being very, very tempted to buy them. <laughs> You're describing them and the kind of genres they cover and some of the stuff in them. Um, had a look at Fringeworthy as well. In my word, you were not lying or you know exaggerating how much it's like Stargate when I was reading it. It was like I read a quick synopsis of kind of the setting and the parallels are quite amazing in some of the things. I mean, I'm thinking about the Stargate TV series in the film, actually. I don't know if you know the series so well, but things like where they found one of the gates, the fact that there's more than one gate and where they kind of are geographically and things, although the plot behind that is slightly different, but it's interesting. The parallels are quite shocking in some ways uh, or surprising, maybe deliberate, who knows, but it's quite interesting when I was reading that blurb, how very similar that was to Stargate SG-1, the TV series anyway. Uh, as opposed to the films. They're very different animals if you watch either of them. So yeah, but I want to say, yeah, stop tempting me with it because I was very tempted to get into that system a little bit, but I need to probably stop getting structured by shiny systems all the time and stick to the ones I want to play. Anyway, cool. Speak to you later, and thanks for bringing that system to my attention and the setting to my attention as well. Speak to you later. Hey, Barry, I'm not going to apologize for being a TriTech Games fanboy and for pushing those games, and I'm going to keep doing it till you buy them, Barry. 
check it out. Fringeworthy is great. You, um, like I said, Bureau 13 is great. Faster and Light 2448 is great. And um, Incursion is also great. But yeah, Fringeworthy, it's definitely worth picking up. The Portal Books, well, I'll do a whole show on Fringeworthy. How about that? Not to try to tempt you anymore, but I will tempt you a little bit more. But pick up Fringeworthy. And folks, I really cannot overstate how similar it is to Stargate. And it came out a decade before Stargate. And like I say, these weren't unknown properties. Bureau 13 had novels. It had a video game, for heck's sake. So these things were out there in public consciousness. Um, but yeah, Fringeworthy is great. Um, and that Tritech system is really neat because, like I say, it gives you whatever level of complexity your group wants or detail your group wants. You can go from NPCs having no hit points at all, effectively, and, and you just roll on a table to see what happens when they're shot, to this super detailed wound system with pages and pages of charts, figuring out bleed damage and bone breakage and, and you name it. So however detailed you want, the system will support it, which is great. Plus... Even if you don't want to use the system, you can take your system of choice and just take the lore and the setting and use it there. And the lore and setting is great as well. So, Barry, I'm glad I've kind of got you hooked. I'm going to do another system Sunday, hopefully in April, on Fringeworthy, and maybe I'll finish reeling you in and get you on the boat. We'll see. Okay, it looks like the wrestling match is over, but we have new caller, J.E. Shields. J.E. Shields is a well-known RPG artist. You'll, you'll find his art throughout the industry. There's a link to his website in the show notes. Go check it out. If you're doing any kind of RPG project, I highly recommend you give Mr. Shields a chance. Check it out. But he also is an avid player, which is great. And he's started listing my backlog, which, folks, my backpack, my back catalog is huge. And it varies in quality, with, without a doubt. It's definitely much rougher in the first 400 episodes than these last 80 episodes or so. And I've definitely said controversial things that I kind of regret over the years. Usually I'll go back and a few episodes later you'll hear me issue an apology or a retraction. I haven't deleted anything off. I mean, I, you know, I did say it. I'm not trying to change history there. But I will admit I haven't always been right, but I try to come back later and put the record right. So if you're listening to one of my old, old episodes and I say something stupid like... You know, I, I'm not a big fan of um, Venger Satanus. Some people are. I, it's just a little bit too shock jock for me as modules, all that kind of thing. But, you know, there's a point where I was talking about a uh, deal with Venger and the drive through RPG. And, and then later on, you know, you'll hear that evolution. I play all the calls that came in. Well, I played most of the calls that came in. And then I, you know, discuss it. And so it's one of those things, it's an evolution, and so if you listen to the back catalog, you can see that evolution thinking, but it's, you know, like I said, I'm not always proud of everything I've said on the podcast, but it, it is out there. Wow, I really shouldn't be saying that. I should just delete all my back catalog. So I can't recommend you go check it out, but there are some really fun shows in my back catalog, too. We did the Rollmaster Retrospective. Uh, I've, I've got a ton of great guests throughout the years talked about different things but anyway jay shields has started going through my back catalog and he, i have a few calls about that so i'm going to play those now hey jason this is james um i've recently started digging into the mountain that is your uh number of podcasts and uh i've got uh, quite a bit to give feedback on um and a lot more to go but 
I'll try and break these up into into similar segments. So the first one I wanted to touch on was a couple of games that you've mentioned, and way back um, you had mentioned uh, gaming in Colonial Gothic, and um, that was really uh, really cool to hear because Colonial Gothic was the first, very first uh, RPG that uh, I ever did any illustrations for. And as back when I was dabbling around in, in digital paints and, and I've, I've stepped away from that, but, uh, uh, but yeah, Clonal Gothic by Rogue Games is, uh, uh, is always fun to hear, to hear again. Um, you also mentioned Car Wars and, uh, I didn't do, I saw, I have some artwork in their latest edition and I know y'all mentioned the, uh, wanting to love car wars uh and i've never actually played uh but uh since i did artwork in the most recent edition uh, i think it's seventh um, i'm being sent a number of uh, of copies and uh, i'll let you know if they've updated anything to to make it uh easier and fun to play uh the last one i wanted to mention you you had asked about uh in your space uh, episode uh, you had mentioned space games, and uh, and you just started into you know, um, and so my mind started thinking about okay, what space games do you know what I would I recommend and um, and it's because as soon as you mentioned it, the one the one popped in my head and was Space Alert, and then I, of course I was surprised to hear you mentioned the one thing that was in my head, and so um, definitely enjoy that. It's not it is not a game for for people who aren't okay with mistakes. And uh, I, lo I love the, the struggle to, uh, uh, to overcome in, in the face of difficulty um, and, and to see, you know, how, how far you can get, you know, after being battered and bruised by, by the space octopus or, or the, the, um, the threats that beam on board and, and all the things that, uh, um, that play. And, uh, into all that and, and at the end because you can you can do a whole series and um, actually I really love the way that they taught that game because when I got the game um, um, it was just me and my dad who were, who were playing it and they, they they if you if you didn't have anybody to show you how to play you had to just read the rule book but the, what they did was and I'm, I know you know this but for the sake of everybody else was um, that they put you into um, Fleet Academy and they had you do scenarios running the running the the ship just as if you were you know a cadet and and by the time you graduated you knew how to play the full game and so i thought that was a neat approach um uh, uh, to it all and, and uh, unfortunately uh, space alert is among the uh, the nerd games and uh on our bookshelves of, of games uh, our family lo loves uh, games we all have our 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 favorites and our favorite style you know we all have our different styles that we like and um it's among what uh, my family have, have called the, the nerd games. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the one thing you, um, um, I, I don't think that, uh, maybe you did touch on it, but it's just, it's the chaos of the game. Uh, you're, you're playing to that live track and then um, you know you're you're trying to fire on sector white, but you know your your, your teammate um, put in the uh, recharge the, the 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 lasers, you know the turn after um, uh, you had a, had fired on it, or you know 
looking at it from the right perspective. You fired before they, before they, uh, they, they, they charged him. So there's, it's a, it, you know, there has to be coordination and, and cooperation and, uh, uh, and it's good to assign your different roles on, on board and you're going to overlap of course. Uh, but yeah, uh, really, uh, do enjoy that game. Um, and I realized that this was, you know, three, four years ago when it was 2019, uh, when uh, when you when you talked about it, but uh, um, I don't know if they had it then, but I know that they have an app um, that you can um, uh, run uh, Space Alert in, so you don't have to rely on the CD anymore. But anyway, I got some more to, to call in, and so you, you don't have to <laughs> uh, uh, sit and listen to this uh, this thing all at once. So, all right, thank you so much. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for that great call. As I mentioned before your call, you know, there's some landmines in my back catalog. I'll apologize in advance. But, yeah, Space Alert is such a cool game. Um, So, folks, I put a link to the website for the game in the show notes. I don't think it's in production anymore, so you probably have to find a used copy. But it's really cool, and it really puts... Well, I talked about it in that earlier segment where, where I was answering Barry about detail in combat. So uh, my thoughts are already there. But yeah, I really love Space Alert. Uh, we use the Star Trek soundtrack. You can get different voices, you know, for the commands. And, and we like to use the Star Trek one. But it, it's a fun game. My son doesn't love it, but I love it. So I, I play it when I can. <laughs> anyway, brings up some great memories. Thank you for, um, for mentioning that. And there's more. Hey, Jason. This is James Shields. Uh, J.E. Shields again. Um, uh, I'm still catching up with um, your podcast. You're gonna, uh, you got a lot to go through. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about um, uh, media and pop culture, the things that you've been bringing up. And um, you mentioned Red Dwarf, and that was um, uh, that was fun to hear. It's it's been forever since I since I watched those. And the one that that sticks out in my mind the most is when they had gone so far into space that they began to um, enter into time, and there and it was now time was now going backwards because they had gone so far out in space. And so, um, uh, <laughs> I remember them, them uh, um, sitting down to to eat. Well, sorry, uh, they were actually um, they were really really popular because um uh you know they were they were um being uh, promoted as being you know the these this backwards um people or whatever that uh uh everybody just amazed at how they could talk backwards walk backwards and all these different things um <laughs> remember them sitting sitting down to eat and their food coming out of their mouth uh or or uh and then the cat <laughs> went to the bathroom and came back. It was, uh, it was just uh, um, uh, appalled at what he had just been through. Um, and, uh, and then I was also, um, uh, it was really good to hear Joe Richter mention, mention the crow. Um, and there's, there's some, there are several things that were mentioned about that, but um, that, uh, that was because uh, he mentioned it being a, a he was um, giving some pushback on the on the crow uh, not being that uh, he was saying that definitely is a comic book movie and I would um, I would certainly agree with that uh, since it was it was a it was at first a comic book 
you know, it was a, a really, it was a cathartic creation uh, for James O'Barr. Um, uh, but uh, I would agree with you, Jason, that it doesn't feel like a comic book movie. Um, and, and there are many um, comic book um, movies that uh, that don't feel like one because we have a certain idea in our head of what what a comic book is or is not. And um, but um, I, I I was a big fan of The Crow in in uh, as a teen uh, so much so that that was actually uh, that Crow was my my nickname. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, just glad to hear Joe Richter mention that one. Um, and then uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up um, was uh, was just a thank you for the uh, the different movie um, suggestions. Uh, I've been writing a few down that kind of stick out to me, and um, that I wanted to uh, hopefully at some point. Uh, uh, get a chance to um, to check out so just especially all the, the kind of the obscure ones um, but uh, but yeah I appreciate uh, all that you're doing I'll talk to you later thank you again yeah you know I haven't rewatched Red Dwarf for so many years I need to revisit that show great great show first saw it on PBS you know American Public Television on uh, well local channel in Washington State you know during the fundraiser they do the fundraisers back in the day and they would play you know, oddball series, that's the only time you'd see them, and they play Red Dwarf during the fun drives. Um, so, so I remember that. That was back when I was out at Fort Lewis. As far as The Crow goes, I'm sure Joe will call in, so I'll let Joe call in on The Crow. But, yeah, The Crow's a great movie. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie about that. I, I do enjoy the movie, but, it's, you know, it's funny, though. I, maybe I will re- re- go back on one thing. In your previous call, you'd mentioned Car Wars and... I think I've softened on that over the years. I'm sure some of my stances from my earlier episodes have softened on different things. Car Wars is a game I think that is really neat, and I need to try it again today. I've got some Car Wars stuff still, and I really need to get it to the table and play it and try it today and see what adult Jason thinks of it compared to, you know, teenage Jason thought of it in the 80s. So... I, I don't want to poo-poo Car Wars. I do remember it. I remember thinking fondly of it, building cars for it, and doing the stuff. The gameplay was just seemed slow to me back then. But I need to try it today and see what I think today. So I, I thank you so much for your calls, especially for re-engaging my head, making me think about Space Alert again. We haven't played that for a few years. And Car Wars, which I haven't played for many years, but I want to get back to the table. So thank you so much. Sorry about that. I hope the dogs didn't scare anybody. I think that's about the show. I have one more call. I'm going to let Carl, our traditional closer, close out the episode. Before that, I want to thank all my callers. Really appreciate it. If you want to call, if you want to hear your voice in the air, you just want to send me a message to read on the air, there are a bunch of ways to reach out to me. SpeakPipe, Google Voice, email. They're all in the show notes. Go to the show notes, and you can see all the different ways to reach out to me. I want to thank Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art, although... Today, instead of Ray Otis's wonderful Coffee Cup clip art, we have a picture of a great tag team duo, Los Hermanos Shadow, Blue Shadow and Blue Demon. Um, you know, they were originally billed as real life brothers, but, you know, they came out later. That wasn't the fact. Blue Demon, you can see in a number of El Santo movies, but, you, you know, they're real wrestlers. 
And this tag team, they won the Mexican national tag team title in 1957 and, you know, had a lot of success both as individuals and as tag team wrestler. Big fan of Lucha Libre. Um, anyway, so, but normally I'd have Ray Otis's heart up there. TJ Drennan does the music, wonderful, wonderful music. Thank you, everybody. I will be back on Sunday with another Spotlight Sunday. And I think all that's left to say before I turn you over to Carl is be excellent to each other. Hey, Jason, just to comment on your short, short and sweet podcast on the tunnels and trolls situation. Yeah, it's very sad that someone would do that. And then I guess they probably want a lot of money for licensing so they can make a buck. Potentially, I don't know what the end game is. Instead of getting, having the game out there, this really much, very much reminds me of the situation with the Digest Group publication materials from Mega Traveler. This guy named Roger Sanger uh, bought the DGP material for a pittance uh, because the author was going undergoing financial trouble and has since not allowed it to come out or put it out, even though they could probably make a lot of money on like drive-through to make up their small loss, but they wanted to, what I've heard and read in the forums, extort a lot of money from Mark Miller to make it canon or to force Miller to um, do a version of Traveler in Sanger's name or something weird like that. So yeah, it's a very similar situation. These people who don't, I guess, I don't understand what their goal is Clearly, they don't have a love for the game, though they say they might, um, and they just want to make a buck, maybe. If only I had millions and millions of dollars. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some. There is a dustman in your moilers by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world